Hello and welcome back to the extras. Feels like it's been a few weeks since we've been here chatting together. Lachlan here this week joined by Raj. Hello everyone, thank you for tuning in. Yeah, we are sorry, we're just a little bit later than usual this time. We just couldn't tee it's up right. the time. It's alright, there's been the holidays, there's been sickness, there's been synod, there's been lots going on. Uh, but here we are, and we're talking this week about the second half of Matthew chapter 22, a passage that Raj, you were not originally uh, planning to speak on and uh, think into, but, um, you know, with sickness floating around, uh, the, the yeah. life landed with you. Yeah, it did indeed. Sam was, um, anyway, we, we got there. I was delighted to be able to preach. It's a great passage. It is, it isn't it? up some great things, yeah. Yeah, I really love Jesus in this section of Matthew. I find his... I, don't know, I, I use the word clever sometimes for this section, just his wisdom, but his cleverness. So we're in the second half of Matthew 22, where the teachers of the law in Israel, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they all come and have a go at tripping up Jesus. They want to put him in his place, show him to be a false teacher, but they can't do it. Uh, Jesus responses every yeah. time. Yeah, just... he outmanoeuvres them. Um, yeah, it, it just shows us the agenda they had. I think mm. I talked about this in the sermon. Mm. It shows us the agenda they had. And uh, I think the way I structured it, it was it was three rounds of trying mm. to trap Jesus. Mm. Um, and interestingly, round three um, with the teacher of the law is slightly different to a parallel account in Mark. In Mark's gospel, it, it's he sounds more sincere. Mm. But in Matthew's gospel... It's quite clear that he was sent to trap Jesus. Yeah, sure. So just interesting the, yeah. the, the nuances anyway. Yeah, yeah. We had just a couple of questions come in, so this will probably be a short episode for us. Um, a couple of questions particularly on the segment where the Sadducees come uh, and they try to trip Jesus up on the resurrection. So in verse 23, the Sadducees say there is no resurrection. Um, easy to remember, right? That's why they're sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. Yes, I heard that two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they're asking Jesus here with this scenario of someone who um, has been married, but the husband dies without children. And so under Jewish law, the practice was that that man's brother would now marry the, the wife to try to bear children for the family. This woman's had seven, um, seven husbands and then she dies. So the Sadducees who don't think there's resurrection, they go, well, How's that going to work in the resurrection? Is she going to have seven husbands? Whose husband, whose wife will she be? Uh, Jesus' answer in verse 32, kind of first he redirects them away from, oh no, not first. Uh, he answers the marriage question, but then he gets to um, their broader mistake that they've misread the scriptures. Uh, he says that God is the God of the living, not of the dead. So Raj, someone just wanted to know, how does that actually address the question that the Sadducees were asking? Yeah, thank you. I think um, the other thing just worth saying, start of verse 32, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the mm. God of Jacob. Um, now, the I am there may well be a reference back to, you know, the personal name of God, Yahweh. Mm. Um, it doesn't need to be that. The way the Greek works in the Hebrew, it's a bit clearer, but the Greek is not necessarily. But I think either way, what it's doing, Lachlan, it's saying... You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were figures who, humanly speaking, had passed away a long time mm. ago. Mm. And it's just trying to shift shift things into talking about um, God being their God. You know, he's, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Mm. In other words, um, 
it's wrong to think of them in the dead and gone and past category. Mm. They should be th- thought about in the living category, mm. which mm. which underlies the resurrection. Mm. So it, it's intrinsically connected with Jesus' point here, um, brought by the Sadducees and just to jog people's memories. I think as I preached, I just made a big point, the Sadducees, um, they had a fixed position on the resurrection, which is they didn't believe in it. Mm. And yet here they were here bringing um, a te- highly technical question about the very thing they don't believe mm. in. Mm. Uh, it was Very not disingenuous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so Jesus, he's trying to point back into their history. He's trying to come at it from another angle. Mm. Um, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, people they would have revered um, as, as Sadducees would have and say, guys... Um, um, they are people who live and they are people who still have a God. Mm. And it's me. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's such a great answer, clever answer, picking up the enduring nature of God and, you know, our hope of resurrection is wonderful to, to rest in. Uh, let's come back to the answer on the marriage question. Uh, a few people raised the question here. You uh, mentioned that there are a couple of different ways of taking what Jesus says in verse 30. So Jesus says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like angels in heaven. Uh, tell us more, Raj, about the way to understand what Jesus is well, saying. Well, look, I, thank you. I'll, <laughs> I'm not sure the way to understand. <laughs> um, but look, if I if I had a bit more time, this I was preaching his sermon quite late. If I had a bit more time, I would have done this work before. Um, but as it turns out, I was still able to do some work afterwards. And I reached out to someone who's done a PhD on singleness. Mm. I reached out to a few people, actually. And and they were able to send me a section from their thesis that really dealt quite well, in my view, with this verse. Um, because it does have huge implications for singleness. It has implications for marriage in mm. this world. Mm. And, and so... Now, those who said on Connect Cards they wanted more information, I've actually extracted this section of her thesis and I've sent yeah, it nice. out to people with nice. her permission. Um, and if you're in a category that you still would like that, it's only 10 pages or so, mm. please let us know that mm. on a Connect Card or some other means. I'm mm. very happy to send it to you. But basically, Lachlan, um, for centuries and centuries, up until about 200 years ago, this verse, um, verse 30, Matthew 22, I might just actually read it again just so we have it in our heads. Um, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So there's two bits there to kind of understand. Mm. You know, One is um, marriage in heaven and the other bit is about the angels. Mm. And actually there's been more discussion about the angels <laughs> The second bit. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> than the first bit. Yeah. But look, suffice to say, so I'm talking at a very high level here. If you want more information, this thesis is very helpful in tracing the history of understanding of this. Um, but basically, for 1,800 years or so since these words were written, most people have taken this to be just assumed that there is no marriage in heaven. Mm. It's only really been in the last 200 years, interestingly, paralleling the rise of the Romantic movement, paralleling the rise of um, our interest, human interest in feelings that that some commentators have started to just push into this a bit more. Really, now this is a subjective comment I'm about to make, but it does feel like as a way of trying to protect um, the human experience of marriage mm. for the future. Mm. Um, I find it quite interesting that's happened in rise with 
the romantic movement. Um, but I think I would also say that has not been a serious, you know, kind of investigation. And I think part of the reason for that is it, it's the second part, the angels. Now, it's not saying here in verse 30, part B, they will be like the angels in heaven in all respects. Mm. I think the particular characteristic the context tells us here, it's picking up on, is the celibate nature of angels. Mm. So that that does, you know, on the terms of this verse, that does just seem to make a lot of sense. Mm. It also seems to make sense of the Sadducees question. Yeah. Um, um, now, I think the challenge for us, though, comes, or, or for some of us comes, than in thinking about the marriages we have in this world. Um, I'm married to Nicole, you're married to Candy. Mm-hmm. I'm happily married to Nicole. I'm happily married to Candy. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you sort of think, wow, so what's it going to be like in heaven? And mm-hmm. so there's a whole bunch of pastoral implications kind of in that category. And I just, my, I guess, comfort to myself is, I just don't know what that looks like. I made a throwaway line, I think, in the sermon. Nicole and I have an agreement to be nice to each other. Whatever things might look like, you and Candy might have a similar agreement. Um, I think, though, I also want to push into a different range of partial implications, and that is for people in this world who are single. Because I I think it's... um, I haven't read the rest of this thesis I'm talking about, but I'm pretty sure when we think of... You can just see the trajectory, right? When you think of... Um, this reality in the future being like angels in relation to celibacy, I think it actually helps us think about singleness in this world in a different way, mm. which I think would be a great, it should be a great encouragement yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, and and that that I think can, can be a really helpful corrective for many. So, so yeah. So I just think I want to say exegetically, um, it does seem clear that that's the emphasis of what's going on here. But there is no human marriage in mm. heaven in the way that we currently conceive it at least. Um, I think then theologically, so now theologically I'm pushing into thinking about strands of the Bible. It, it just opens up all kinds of questions about, you know, how human relationships work in heaven. Sure. Um, yeah. I won't enter into that now, but just... Yeah, yeah. just what will our memory of those things be like? Yeah. yeah, yeah. What will the, you know... Um, I think overall I take great comfort in knowing whatever, however things are going to work, it's going to be um, God's perfect design mm. in a way that even mm. surpasses our experience in this world. Yeah. Even though that might a far be too greater joy. Yeah. Far greater joy. Um, um, but then the partial implications, so thirdly, partial implications in this world, uh, I think. You know, have an agreement with your spouse if you're you're married about what you can Mm. without knowing the Mm. certainty. But Mm. I also want to say to to those who are single, and I've talked to many at St Paul's who are single, and um, we have a few on our staff in that category as well. It's a a great, you know, joy to talk with these people Mm. about some of these issues. Mm. Um, But I also think it provides a great encouragement Mm. for people. Mm. Um, who, who are not married. Yeah. yeah. Much more that we could say there in my head's going to the 1 Corinthians 7 stuff that yeah. you talk there about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all sorts of things. But helpful to just be clear here in verse 30. What I've heard you say there, Raj, is that some people more recently have kind of taken the language to try to say, no, verse 30, it's just that there's no new marriages. They're neither marrying nor giving in marriage. 
but you're saying it seems clear that this is kind of an end of the existing marriages, not just no new marriages, but no human marriage. Yeah, look, I might just, you know, remove the word clearly. I just, you know, these matters are debated. I don't, other people have put their minds to this far more than I have and, and, and far more than you have and come up with different conclusions which they would consider to be clear. Sure. So I just want to respect that as well. Okay, okay. But at the moment we're landing on yeah. thinking that it's no marriage. That's my that's my current Great. view and I think as you we talked before this, you, you, you know, you said that's where you're mm. going to, yeah. Mm. All right, last question then, Raj. We jump to the final encounter in this chapter. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the teacher of the law, they've all had their crack at Jesus and now Jesus turns it back on them in verse 41 and 42 and asks them some questions about the Messiah. Jesus has been claiming to be the Messiah. These leaders have been rejecting that claim for him. Uh, Someone's just wanted to understand a little bit more the logic of what Jesus is doing there. So he picks up Psalm 110, where David says, The Lord said to my Lord. And he asked them, How can David call his son, the Messiah, also Lord? How does that work? Yeah, so the way you have just introduced that question is excellent, Lachlan, because it picks up on the shift that's happening here. Verse 41, uh, up until now we've seen round one, round two, round three, which is people taking the initiative to try to trap Jesus. And now verse 41, while the Pharisees were still gathered together, Jesus asked them. So Jesus now, he's turning the tables. He is trying to point out to them the fault in their logic um, in all kinds of ways. Um, so his way of doing that is to ask them about the Messiah, whose son is he? And of course, they said David. Mm. That's you know, it's so a biblical answer. That's that is a biblical answer. And Jesus is he's trying to just he's trying to open up their minds to think, um, well, to think beyond the kind of simple linear ways of this world. Mm. Uh, so he goes to Psalm um, um, one hundred and ten. The Lord said to my Lord. This is David speaking. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So if you substitute in David's son here, um, it just doesn't make sense. Mm. David is referring to his own son as Lord. And and then blow, you know, how does this blow your mind? Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies. Um, it, It just the logic of it doesn't make sense if you're thinking in the simple linear categories of this world. Mm. You have to think beyond. Mm. And so that is, so verse 45, if then David calls him Lord. How can he be his son? Mm. Um, so um, it, it had the desired impact mm. because we read in verse 46, no one could say a word in reply and from that day on no one dared to ask him any more questions. Yes. So, look, in very simple terms, just, you know, for the ex- purpose of the extras, um, more in depth than what I was able to say on the Sunday sermon, but, but lots of stuff's been written about this. But there is how Jesus is seeking to try to blow their minds and reorientate their minds mm. so that they think in biblical categories as intended. Mm. Yeah. Might be worth saying just that you know Jesus isn't disagreeing with them. Um, the Messiah is the son of David, and Matthew's Correct. been at pains yeah. to show that the very first verse of Matthew's gospel. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
So, you know, Jesus is a descendant of David, but he's more than just a human descendant, you know. So the, the Pharisees have been rejecting his claim to be the Messiah. They've also been rejecting his claim to divinity. That's been what's particularly offended them throughout. And here he's trying to bring those together. Yeah. So really wonderful, clever reply. I think I love this about Jesus because I wish I was that clever sometimes. I, I don't like being put on the spot and tested. Um, and I long for that kind of wisdom. But I, you know, I love that our Lord and Saviour um, understands everything. Isn't that wonderful? He has all the wisdom and understanding uh, of which we just get a little glimmer and a glimpse as he grants that to us by his spirit. Yeah. Raj, thanks for your time. Uh, it's been wonderful to press in a little bit more to this section of Matthew. Thanks, Lachlan. And we look forward and thanks to... thanks, everyone, for your questions. Yeah. We'll see you next time on The Extras.